Uh, good morning. Um, yeah, we are tired. Um, we got back into the U.S. like the middle of May. We were here for two weeks, and then we head out, headed out on the road June 1st or so. Um, we literally like rolled back into Seattle last Sunday morning, and then we went to middle school camp that afternoon. It's like we unpacked our car last night, so it's been like seven weeks or something on the road. I am ready for some sleep, but we got to get through this morning before I can get there, right? Uh, a little background about us. Um, we've actually been attending LifeSpring for like 15 years or something. What has it been? Cassidy was a baby. Um, we haven't been around a lot in the recent years, right? Uh, it's not because we don't like you guys or don't want to hang out with you, but we generally have been residing about 9,000 miles away from you all. Uh, 28, or excuse me, 2016 into 2018, we lived in Papua New Guinea. We served with Wycliffe Bible translators there. Um, these last couple of years, we've been living in Kenya. We work with Agape Children's Ministry there. Um, I love this theme that's happening right now, uh, go outside and what the church looks like outside these walls. Uh, you got to hear Braden a couple weeks ago talk about in the workplace, and then Dan, or, uh, Dan, um, Wayne last week talked about like in your communities. Today we're going to talk about beyond your communities, what it looks like in the world, what the church is looking like. Um, I'm going to start by sharing with you what you've been involved in, what you've all been partnering in these last couple of years. Um, many of you in this room give to our family financially. You pray for us. Uh, LifeSpring as well partners with us to see children rescued from the streets. Um, this is how overseas missionaries can go and do their work, is through the support of people in their home countries. And it's a way also uh, for all of you uh, and, and all Christians to engage with the global church, the brothers and sisters outside of their country. Um, but I hope today, by the end, you'll understand not only like what you're making a difference in, what you guys are helping in, but also how you're partnering with your brothers and sisters in Christ overseas, what that impact is. Uh, so let us pray, and we'll get into it. Father, this morning, I just um, as we dive into what the lives look like of uh, our brothers and sisters that don't live near to us, and I pray that um, you would just speak through me, help me to represent well the, the plight of some of the people in this world, but also the amazing work that some others are doing. Um, Lord, just put a passion in us, or a compassion, for those that live lives that are different than ours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Agape's mission statement. Let's just start there. To reconcile children to God and family through the good news and transformational love of Jesus Christ. So we work with street children, all right? We work to get them off the streets, get them clean, and get them into stable and loving homes. But I think we need to start with defining what street children are. What does that look like? Um, we're not talking about kids that go to the streets during the day to sell local brooms or something. These are kids that live on the streets. They've made it their home. Um, these aren't necessarily orphans. It's a term we hear thrown around a lot um, when working with vulnerable children. In fact, what we find is in Kenya, at least, it's very rare to find a child on the streets that has lost both of their parents. Uh, but these are children that have detached from normal society, detached uh, from their families. 
and are really living a hopeless life. The global estimate right now is there's about 100 million street children. A lot of kids. Uh, about 100,000 of those are in Kenya. Um, our experience shows that uh, we see kids from about 5 years old all the way up to 18 and beyond on the streets in Kenya. Um, the average, if you were to go to Kenya, you'd probably see kids 10 to 15. That's what you would see on the streets most of the time. Um, why do we do this work? Why is it important? We would argue because the Bible tells us to do this work. There's many examples, but I just want to look at one. How about James 1, 27? It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God has a heart for the vulnerable and for the oppressed. And for those that are last in the world, and we think we should care about those that God finds valuable, even when society says they have no value. This morning you're going to hear me use a lot of us and we. And you should know who I'm talking about. It's not about the missionaries necessarily. We have four missionary families with Agape and about 150 Kenyan staff. Um, our missionaries are not the stars of the show. We operate largely in the background. We work on staff development, staff discipleship, administration. Um, our staff are the ones handling nearly all of the program interactions with the children and the families. So important to have that happen. They love the Lord. They help us daily with our cultural understanding in Kenya. They're really pretty awesome. Um, I'm also going to go over things pretty simply, meaning the problem and the solution for poverty and inequality in this world is, is complicated. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything, come talk to us after church. We can discuss things. Um, but what do we do? Let's talk about some details. So our program has four stages. We rescue, we rehabilitate, we reintegrate, and we redeem. We don't redeem. We help children find redemption. But I want to go through each step quickly, and we can, we can uh, learn some detail there. So what is rescue? What are we rescuing these children from? So they're living on the streets. Um, don't really know how to get off of the streets. They didn't originate on the streets, though, right? These children came from somewhere. Um, but why? Why would they choose this life? In our work, we've got two different categories of, of causes. We have push factors and we have pull factors. Push factors are things inside the home that are pushing the child out. So these would be things that you might expect. Poverty-related, lack of food, lack of water, lack of shelter. Interpersonal relationship issues are another cause that lead to uh, abuse and neglect in the home. Um, shame is another one. A kid gets bad grades in school or um, they steal something in the community, get caught, and there's shame. Is anybody in here from a shame and honor culture, or originally shame and honor culture? No? Okay. Uh, to super simplify it, when you receive shame, like if this is the center of society, you are moved away from the center of society and you are deemed less desirable to be associated with. When you receive honor, you're moved closer to the center of society. And so your shame or your honor also reflects on your family, not only on yourself. 
There are pull factors that we uh, encounter as well, things like the promise of freedom, the promise of work, your friends are on the streets, or possibly addictions you might have. But what do they find on the streets? More of everything they ran from, right? More abuse, more poverty, less stability in their lives, and a general hopelessness. So the picture you see here, we have these two guys, Moses and Esther, on the streets, four days a week, pouring into these kids, loving these kids, and trying to encourage them to consider going back home. If a child agrees to consider coming off the streets and going home, what next? If we take them straight home from the streets, what do you think happens? They go right back, right? They will beat you back to town. You will drop a kid off in their village, and by the time you are back to town, they're literally back there on the streets. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. So rehabilitation is so very important. Um, We want a child to come back to our campus. We don't do long-term residential. We do short-term residential for the purpose of rehabilitation. It could be one week. It could be three months, depending on the needs of that child. But every child gets an individual plan based on their needs. Now, remember, these children have learned to survive on the streets. And how do they do it? Literally any way that they can. Lying, stealing, cheating. Um, A child, if any of you visit Kenya, kids will come up to you on the street and they will tell you, well, if their parents are dead, or they will tell you, I just need a little bus money so I can go home and see my family. And it's sad to say that it's probably not the truth. They are surviving. Um, So our social workers have to deal with that. They have to build trust. It takes weeks and weeks for our team of pastors and social workers and counselors to build trust. Um, They'll go to find the home of the child and maybe multiple days in a row and they'll keep going to the wrong home or the wrong village or the wrong place, not because the child doesn't know where the right place is, but because they're not ready yet, right? They're not ready to show you. Oftentimes when we find home, we meet parents who the child claimed were very much dead, who are very much not actually dead. Um, But during the rehab phase, each child starts with a transition class to learn the basics of how to treat yourself and how to treat others and the building blocks for the discipleship classes that will come later. These are all skills that have been lost after life on the streets. After that, we focus on three key areas. We focus on the child's uh, spiritual state. They go through these discipleship classes. We don't require any child to accept Jesus or to be a Christian to receive our services, but we desire it, right? We know the freedom that it brings. We do academic work as well, uh, remedial academics, so that child is ready to re-enter school when they get home. And we do counseling Lots and lots of counseling. A lot of these children have gone through some hard things. They're dealing with trauma. And what does that do? It changes the way the kids react to what they intake. The trauma brain is often inhibited from making good informed decisions. It instead focuses on protecting itself. So this step is super important for the long-term stability of the child. We have to help them process their trauma and find healing. 
after rehabilitation is complete, then we reintegrate. Our goal is always mother and father, but those homes are not always stable. And in those instances, we look to other family members, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Like many places in the world, um, kinship, family is so important. In Kenya, it's your link to like inheritance, to land, to jobs, community in the future. Like It's literally everything. Um, nearly all the children, we, we find they've got family around. They didn't come from nowhere again. Uh, but it's not always easy, guys, to find family. Uh, but it's so worth the effort. Agape's been doing reintegration for three or for ten years. We've rescued 3,600 children off the streets in ten years. Less than ten. Ten. We have not been able to find suitable biological family to place them with. And instead, those ten kids went to non-biological foster homes. It's doable. It's possible. It just takes a lot of work. Follow-up is so vital to a child's success. Uh, and our team of social workers continues to visit that child and family until they turn 18. Eighty-two percent of the children we have worked with in the last ten years have been successfully reintegrated. That means 82 percent are either at home right now and stable or have turned 18 and aged out of the program while they are at home. The last R is redeem. But redeem doesn't sit on its own. It's woven into every aspect of our program. Uh, We have a desire for every child and every family we work with to come to know their creator. When a child starts to understand where their identity comes from, that as Christ's followers, he defines us and not this world, they find freedom. No longer do they believe that they're a curse on their family because of the time on the streets, but they can see themselves as a blessing again. When you are redeemed through Jesus, not only are you reconciled to your heavenly Father, but it can bring reconciliation with your earthly family as well. When a family and child have experienced the redemption found in Jesus, their ability to reconcile with each other becomes so much more attainable. Regardless of whether a family uh, or child has found redemption or reconciliation, we have to believe it's possible. Um, We have to ask God all the time to help us see these children, how he sees them, to see them in their redeemed form. It can get wearing, and the children will try to push you away as a defense or a trauma mechanism, but we always want to be there when they're ready to go home. One of Wayne's points from last week that I loved was to stop thinking about people in terms of being a character in your story. We see this often in missions. I have some friends in Kenya whose uh, sending organization was like, guys, your newsletters, like, they're okay, but we don't really want to hear about your family. We just want to hear about the ministry. Tell us the numbers. And numbers are good. Like, they keep us on track. They keep accountability. Um, we track tons of stuff at Agape. The Kitali campus has been open since July 2018. We've rescued 530 children in that time. Uh, 320 have given their lives to Jesus. 
But those numbers are actually people. Right? They've got their own story, their own journey that they're on. Did I mention I'm tired? When I'm tired, I can't control myself anymore. Oh, man. Ah. Well, we're not there for, excuse me, they're not there for me. To be wins for me and my staff, we're there for them. So for us, we celebrate when children at Agape come to know the Lord. In fact, this picture you see here, like I get these all the time. We have these Kenyan WhatsApp groups that any time a child gives their life to the Lord, the picture goes out on our, our Agape group, and it's amazing. But it's kind of just the beginning. And we know that the discipleship in the following months and years, like the walking with that person through their story, is where we see lives transformed. So that's it, right? Rescue, rehabilitate, reintegrate, and redeem. Super simple. No, it's not that simple. It never is. But I believe that as Christians, we are in a unique position to work on social issues in this world. Our experience in Kenya is that economic hardship alone is almost never the reason that a child leaves home. There are always other factors. A child will leave home due to interpersonal conflict or spiritual poverty, even if the family is doing well economically. The secular NGOs that we work alongside, though, tend to see humans as economic beings. If we can increase someone's economic situation, then the problems will go away. The issues will resolve themselves. But as Christians, we know that God created us to be more than economic beings, right? We're relational beings and we're spiritual beings. And while often we need to address the tangible needs before we can work on the relational and spiritual health, we're not bound to only focus on the tangible. To live healthy lives, we have to be in right relationship with our Creator with ourselves, with other humans, and with creation. And if any one of those relationships uh, is broken or strained, then it puts more strain on the rest of them. And it increases the likelihood of family breakup. So we have a gift in Jesus that we have been given to us by our Creator that we can share with others. Now, most of us know that inviting Jesus into your life is not a magic pill that just instantly fixes all of your struggles. But it moves you off the path of destruction and onto the path of redemption. But even for Christians, engaging in overseas missions is not without its pitfalls. Did you guys know that we belong to the most culturally and ethnically diverse religious movement in human history? There's a lot of estimates out there, but some say as many as 2 billion people in this world identify as Christian. Hundreds of cultures, thousands of subcultures just inside of America. We see so many different uh, expressions on what it means to follow Jesus. There's so much diversity in the church. 
Sometimes it can be really hard to walk side by side with Christians that might do life differently than us. I think the truth is that every Christian culture or subculture has things they excel at and things they struggle with. Uh, Cultural expressions that reflect God's heart out to the rest of creation. And areas that maybe we've justified the desires of our collective flesh and we've called it a good thing. There's a term in Papua New Guinea called one talk. Uh, Essentially it means like one language. You and I share the same language. Um, It's not always how it plays out though. It can uh, change depending on the context to where if I met a Papua New Guinean in Seattle, we would be one talks, like we, we got a relationship or a connection. And it's basically what do you have in common with somebody compared to uh, the people around? Like, are, do you have an exclusive thing, a thing that makes you too special? That's a super cool cultural expression, as long as you let the right thing define you. I've heard it said that as a Christian we have more in common with, let's say, maybe an inconceivably poor single mother in the slums of Nairobi that is a Christian than you do with someone in your home culture that does not follow Jesus. The first and foremost, before you're anything else in the world, before you're American or Kenyan or rich or poor or King James or NIV or whatever, that you belong to Jesus. You're co-heirs with him. And that association should define you above all else. You read Galatians 3, 26-29. It says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But does this mean they're all going to be clones of each other, twinsies? I don't think it does. And our tendency is kind of to flip this one-talk idea on its head. And once we find a group that we belong in, we assess it, we define it, and we split it in our minds. And we narrow our belonging group, not for the purpose of inclusion, but for the purpose of exclusion. We divide it again and again. If we're not careful, the cycle won't ever stop. And it will lead to a life where every smaller group you create will continue to disappoint you. But while we're debating in the American church about whether we can put shiplap in our sanctuaries or whether we can have instruments during worship, there are legit Christ followers in this world who will 0% ever in their lives worship inside of a building. doesn't even apply. How about uh, the discussion on whether or not women can wear trousers? That's a thing. Um, churches are dividing over that. In fact, we have some friends whose families won't associate them because the wife wears pants. But then we have sisters in Christ living deep in the bush in P&G who will never ever wear anything more than a grass skirt. How does that argument apply? 
My point is that I, I think we don't realize how small our view of the world can be. At the things we think... <laughs> the things we think defines living a good Christian life may not even exist in the world of millions of our brothers and sisters. And it's not to say that your experiences aren't real. They're 100% real. But we can't use our human experience to define all human experiences. That we sometimes see the world as two-dimensional when it's three-dimensional. We can view things on an X and Y axis, but forget that there's another. There's a Z axis. And so we miss what that adds, the complexity and the diversity that that adds. It's something we have to remind ourselves of every day in the work that we do overseas because as an overseas missionary, we can and often have had the tendency to require those that are culturally distant from us to move culturally near to us so that we can serve them. And so in Kenya, my family, we have to acknowledge that the children and families that we serve are so culturally distant from ourselves that we can't fully understand their lives enough to provide the right help the right way at the right time. We need to construct solutions alongside those that are culturally near to those we are serving. We have to do discipleship with our Kenyan staff, not at our Kenyan staff. I think this should be a relief for all of us, honestly. Uh, We're not commanded to just make converts or clones of ourselves, but to make disciples, to make learners. people who are hungry to follow Jesus and know him better. And a culturally distant person's journey and learning more about Jesus might look very different than mine and yours. But we can have the freedom then to ask our brothers and sisters in their culture what God is talking to them about. What is God revealing to you about your culture that you want to see changed? And then ask them, how can I support you in that? Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So through a lot of painful uh, lessons, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. Uh, To seek understanding, like Wayne said, to be curious about people. To put away my pride and be the last one to talk or maybe not share at all. I think I'll invite the worship team up at this time as I get ready to close. I want to read through the Agape mission statement again. It says, To reconcile children to God and family through the good news and transformational love of Jesus Christ. It might be assumed that this is referencing the child's biological family. It is, but when a child accepts Jesus into their heart, they are brought into a bigger family, family of God. I'm going to read Romans 8, 
16 through 17. It says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. I'm a part of that family, and you're all a part of that family. Our Kenyan friends are a part of that family. And even though it's a wildly diverse family, each one of us belongs. And we have to trust, I believe, and to, uh, and to believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding not only us and those inside of this church, but working through and guiding our brothers and sisters around the world, no matter how culturally distant they are from ourselves. I want to close with this. Yesterday, um, yesterday we spread my grandfather's ashes in Discovery Bay. Gosh, this one's going to be hard to get through. Uh, my, my dad shared a quote from Norman McLean who wrote A River Runs Through It, and I thought it was applicable for this morning. He says, Each one of us here today will at one time in our lives look upon a loved one who is in need and ask the same question, we are willing to help, Lord, but what, if anything, is needed? For it is true, we can seldom help those closest to us. Either we don't know what part of ourselves to give, or, more often than not, the part we have to give is not wanted. And so it is those we live with and should know who elude us, but we can still love them, and can love completely, without complete understanding. Let us pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this family, Life Spring family, that supported us for the number of years. It's just been family to us. And I pray that um, you just work on all of our hearts that we would know how beautiful the family is that we're a part of in this world that we would have the same eyes to see and the same heart to feel those things that our brothers and sisters are going through in this world is so very different from what we experience so Lord I just pray that you would help us to have grace for each other help us to encourage each other help us to have the wisdom to be quiet to listen Help us to have the wisdom to trust that you are leading those that are not like us, Lord. In Jesus' name.